This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. And welcome to a glorious driving home edition of the Evan Roberts podcast about, I'd say, five and a half minutes ago. That's how great the Brooklyn Nets hung on. They made you nervous, and they beat the L.A. LeBrons at Barclays Center to win number six in a row. Which, which by the way, can you freaking believe it? Considering how awful the eight-game losing streak was, considering how painful the eight-game losing streak was, the fact that this team has now won six in a row and three of those six games have been against teams that will be in the postseason this year, starting with Toronto to begin the streak, the game against Philadelphia, uh, obviously beating the Knicks and beating Washington and beating Atlanta and now capping it off against LeBron and Brooklyn. I still can't freaking believe it. Now... A lot of things about this game, all right? And this is going to be a very positive edition of the Evan Roberts podcast because, honestly, I would feel guilty bitching about anything. And the truth is, after a win, it's very difficult to bitch about anything, especially a win that really makes you reevaluate where the hell this season is going. Number one, D'Angelo Russell. And we have to start with him because D'Angelo has played well since the Karras Levert injury. His numbers have been very, very good. We saw what he did against Atlanta. But as we've talked about before, there are times in which Kenny Atkinson just doesn't trust him late in games, where we don't see him on the floor in big minutes. Not only did we see him on the floor in big minutes tonight, he hit the shot that you probably... Look, there are a lot of moments in this game. I'll go through a few of them off the top of my head. But that was the... And I hate to use the word dagger, because with this freaking team, they can blow anything. And Rondé Hollis-Jefferson attempted to at the free throw line especially when LeBron James hit that quarter three with Rondé's hand in his face. But D'Angelo Russell, against his former team, was not only outstanding offensively scoring the basketball, how about the court vision? How about some of the assists that he had in this game? How about some of the plays? How about that little ball fake? And the second time when it was called for a traveling, you got to be kidding me. He runs the exact same play, does the exact same move, and this time the officials like to call travel on him. But that's neither here nor there. The dagger three, up three, I guess it was about uh, 25 seconds to go. Actually, it was about 18 seconds to go in the game. Russell hits the three, puts him up by six, and even though LeBron answers with a three, at that point in the game, the Nets are in a position where if they avoid the stupid turnover and they hit their free throws, they're going to win the damn game. And they actually did it. Now, I did not understand why Rondé Hollis-Jefferson all of a sudden became Steve Nash at the line, where Rondé Hollis-Jefferson all of a sudden is Ray Allen at the line, where, I mean, beggars can't be choosers. They're getting the basketball inbounds, which is great, and they're not turning the ball over, but they're getting it to Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, who's a 65% free-throw shooter. But back to Russell. Russell was 
outstanding in this game. I'm happy for him that he could do it against the Lakers, especially with the performance Lonzo Ball was having early on. Ball was actually hitting his awkward shot, which is something no one is used to considering I think he's like 38 from the field, 28 from three, something like that coming in. But he actually shot the basketball well, including late in the game because Lonzo had a lot of those big threes early and then kind of disappeared offensively. And defensively, he wasn't exactly electric tonight, at least the way he's played recently. But Ball misses a three, they get an offensive rebound, and then he takes it right away again with that weird, awkward-looking shot and hit it. So Ball actually hit a big three to get the Lakers a little bit closer. I think that may have pulled pulled them within three at that point. Bottom line is this game got too close to comfort. And late in the game, when you're facing LeBron James, anything that gets close, you figure doom and gloom because, God forbid... They call anything on this guy. And I really thought, you know, there are moments in a basketball game where you think this could turn into something really, really bad. When C.J. Watson missed that dunk in Chicago, you kind of knew that, hey, this could really, this could be really bad. And obviously it led to that Chicago Bulls comeback. When the Nets are up by 11 and Rondé Hollis-Jefferson attacks the basket and they call an offensive foul on just an absolute BS he barely put his pinky on LeBron James. If anything, how about you actually call a foul on LeBron, who has not called for one freaking foul all night tonight? And I think this season, he's been called on average for about 1.5 fouls per game. And that's not even human. That's not even possible. But when they call that offensive foul up 11, should have been up 13, maybe even 14 if they give Rondé an N1, even though he probably misses the free throw, I had a sickening feeling that that had a chance to be one of those bad turning points of the games, if you will. But the Nets responded. Jared Dudley, who took a few of those no, 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 yes, yes, yes kind of shots late, including that really long two that they initially called a three, but then upon replay review, they quickly changed it to a two. Uh, That was one of the few moments, and Dudley had a couple of them late in the game, including one three that he took which I thought was just an awful shot. They're up four with about three and a half minutes to go. And early in the shot clock, Dudley's chucking a three. Now, this is not a day to pick on Jared because I thought Jared had some very big moments in this game. I mentioned the long two. He hit a couple of corner threes. I thought Dudley played well, and Kenny went back to giving him big minutes in the fourth quarter, mainly because Kenny decided to go small to match the Lakers, which meant we saw no Jared Allen, and we saw no Ed Davis in the final quarter of this game. And at the end of the day, it worked. I didn't love it at the time. Honestly, I thought you could have taken advantage of the Lakers going small by putting Jared Allen in this game, even Ed Davis, to take advantage of the offensive glass. We know how good Ed can be giving you second chances and sometimes third chances. But Kenny decided to match up by going small, and he played both Russell and Dinwiddie in big minutes in the fourth quarter of this game. What I noticed early with Dinwiddie and Russell, because... I think it's safe to say, with Levert out, the two best players on this team are D'Angelo Russell and Spencer Dinwiddie. I think that is a safe statement based on the way they've played that your two best players don't exactly play great together. And what I noticed early, uh, I think it was late first quarter for the first time when Kenny went to both Russell and Dinwiddie, is you saw a lot of... This actually may have been late second quarter. I'm trying to remember when he initially went to both of them at the same time. But you saw a lot of Dinwiddie standing around. You know, when Dinwiddie first checked into the game, what's been so great about Spencer this season is how he attacks the basket. Not only 
does it lead to drive and kick open threes, but Dinwiddie is getting to the free throw line at a great rate right now. You know, I joked with him on the Saturday show when he came on that there was one call in particular in the fourth quarter, I think it was when Kelly Oubre was called for a foul, or I don't think there was any foul, where Spencer is going to now start to get some calls. He's not going to get all the calls. He's not the rain. He's not LeBron. No one's saying he is. But he's now starting to get that reputation for a guy that not only can get to the basket whenever the hell he wants, but he's doing it on a consistent basis. So in the second quarter, or may have been late first quarter when Dinwiddie first checked in, you saw a lot of that aggressiveness, a lot of him getting to the basket where his early points came at the free throw line. When Russell checked in, and by the way, this is not necessarily a knock on D'Angelo. D'Angelo was awesome offensively tonight, and he got his teammates involved, but you saw a lot of Dinwiddie just kind of standing around. But I thought it was very important, not only for the growth of this basketball team, but for the growth of both of them, who very well could be in the long-term plans of this franchise moving forward, is for them to get big-minute experience together. And they've had big-minute experience together, don't get me wrong, but if I'm not mistaken, and I'm driving right now, all right, so I'm not looking at any stats or anything to look up, I think they played the entire fourth quarter together. I think, and I love that, by the way, that's a compliment I'll give Kenny, that Atkinson basically said, I want this game, I need this game, I'm playing my two best players either the entire fourth quarter or the majority of the fourth quarter. LeBron sat, he got a blow for like the first two and a half minutes of the fourth quarter, and then they went to him probably at about the nine-minute mark, and boy, he is, he's a freaking pain in the ass. And I mean that as a compliment. I'm not going to sit here and get into any greatest of all time debate, but (laughs) he is something else to watch. I mean, he is, and I mean this with peace and love, peace and love, a baby. And he'll bitch about every freaking call that doesn't go his way, which is amazing considering just about every call does go his way. I mean, the guy wasn't called for one personal foul. But he is like a freight train getting to the basket. And that's why, you know, the early moment of this game that's going to get a lot of attention is Jared Allen blocking his shot. And I think he blocked him again later, though... I thought, and I haven't had a chance to see the replay, it looked like LeBron may have just missed the dunk more than Allen got a piece of it. But Allen had that, you know, that beautiful poster moment where he blocks the king, LeBron James, and that got Barkley's a little pumped up, even though it was mostly Laker fans. I want to give some love to Rhodey, because even though this was a very overall quiet game by Radonis Kuritz, he did hit a three, I think it was early second half, And how about that defensive play forcing the turnover against, I think it was Lance Stevenson, where he tipped the ball out of bounds. And that's what I loved about the Nets tonight. They played defense. You saw a lot of active hands, Joe Harris forcing turnovers. Now, a few of the Laker turnovers were unforced, where there was miscommunication. Lonzo Ball's looking for a guy in the first row. I think he's passing a Mr. Whammy. There was one, I think it was with Stevenson, in the fourth quarter of this game, same kind of thing. There was a few of those. A few of those just miscommunication turnovers, but the Nets were active defensive. I thought the Nets defensively played the best they have played over the last four games because they haven't been great defensively. What they've done recently is they're scoring a ridiculous amount of points. I thought tonight, especially against the talent that they were going up against, I thought they did a very good job defensively. Joe Harris had his moments He was basically making all of his threes until late. He had that circus move that was beautiful. And it was a real team effort. And it was a great win. It was a great, great win. It is not fair 
for me to sit here and try to analyze where the hell this thing is going because when it's now it's 15 minutes after the game and by the way I'm on the BQE and I'm flying I will spend a few minutes on the parking spot I got because I kind of think for this podcast for a Nets podcast for mostly only Net fans listening I think I should reveal my parking secrets because they're freaking amazing and if I can help a fellow Brooklyn Net fan why wouldn't I help a fellow Brooklyn Net fan but what was I saying now just I'm giddy I'm excited Oh, yeah, this was a great win. Let me get to the crowd. Then I'll get to the parking, and then I'll get to the importance of the next couple of games. Uh, It was weird because walking around the arena, if you just tried to base the crowd on jerseys, you would say it was like 90% Laker fans. I thought being in the stands, listening to the people around me, it was more like 65% Laker fans, which which is still embarrassing, don't get me wrong, <clears throat> but I don't think it was as bad as it probably looked in my eyes, at least, when I'm first walking into the arena. And what I thought was really interesting was to kind of balance out LeBron jerseys versus Kobe jerseys, and it was 98% LeBron jerseys which just shows you that most of the people in our building were a bunch of freaking front runners. I mean, come on. If you're a Laker fan, as great as LeBron is, you're a diehard Laker fan, that's the jersey you're wearing when he's been on your team for five minutes. You're not wearing a Kobe jersey or a Shaq jersey or a Pau Gasol jersey or a Magic Johnson jersey or a Kareem jersey or a Wilt jersey or an Eddie Jones jersey or a Nick Van Exel jersey or a Derek Fisher jersey. You're wearing LeBron? You're wearing Lonzo Ball? Give me a break. I won't even wear, like to me, you have to do something for me to wear your freaking jersey. And I mean do something with my team. The Mets signed Bryce Harper. I'm not getting a freaking Bryce Harper jersey. But I did think that, and this happens a lot, and I noticed this with the Mets when they play the Yankees. I thought that the Net fans that were there got as loud as I've heard them since opening night against the Knicks. And I think a part of that is that when there are people in your building rooting for the other team, it almost forces you to get louder. So I think it was after Russell at the three that put him up by six. You did hear, at least I heard from where I'm sitting upstairs, a very solid Brooklyn chant, which is nice to hear because this team is playing really well. This team has shown so much heart after just a debilitating eight-game losing streak that you know, was killing me as a fan. I can only imagine what it was doing to some of these players. So it's good to see at least there'd be some passion from the fans, but it is what it is. You know, you go into these nights and you know you're going to be outnumbered by the opposing team. And it sucks and it's embarrassing and Nick fans will make fun of you on Twitter, but it is what it is and you just have to grow. And I think that if this team continues to play well, they'll grow. They'll they'll have a better fan base than the one they had in 13 and 14 because it's not a bunch of mercenaries and veterans from other teams. It's guys that you're watching grow. And you are watching these guys grow. And I want to give Rondé a lot of credit because when they had lost the eighth game in a row and we did the State of the Nets podcast, I was very uh, very down on Rondé. I think I said, quote, I'm sick of looking at his face. To which uh, one of my fellow Net fans, Mike Maseglia, who joined me on it, said, Come on, Rodney's a good-looking guy. 
Uh, Rondé has done a really good job recently, missed free throws excluded, especially defending the opposing team's best player. And that's what he had to do tonight against LeBron. And I don't know if he's going to be on this team next year. I think there's a better shot. D'Angelo's on this team than Rondé. But I got to hand it to him. He's played really, really well. I give him credit. I give him credit. Oh, crap. You know what I did? I never got off the exit I was supposed to get off of. Like, usually I take the BQE to the, um, to the Whitestone Expressway and instead, or to the Grand Central, and then the Grand Central to the Whitestone, completely blew by it. Now I'm taking the RFK Bridge. So this podcast is costing me probably an extra 10 minutes to get home. But hey, as long as I'm safe, right? That's the key. I got to be safe. All right, let me get to uh, the parking. Now, when the show is over at 1 o'clock, going home makes no sense. I go home, it's going to take me then probably two and a half hours to commute to the arena. So what I do is I go to Brooklyn and I kind of hang out. I find something to do. Sometimes I go to sleep. Sometimes I read. I try to I try to find something to do. But 6th, uh, 5th Avenue? Yeah, it's 5th Avenue is the place. There are a bunch of meters there. There are two-hour meters that expire at 7 o'clock. So you do the math. If you park there anytime after 5 o'clock, you're in business. So because I get there so early... I not only get a spot, I get the closest freaking possible spot that you could possibly get. And I park there and I fall asleep. And when this game is over, win, lose, or draw, I'm in the car and I timed it today because I am that big of a geek. It took me about two, I actually didn't time it today. I have tied it in the past, I'm sorry. I was was thinking about the past times I've timed it. Today I did not time it, but I think it was like two and a half minutes. Which makes me very happy because I just want to get into my freaking car and I want to go home and I want to be thinking about the beauty of this victory over the Los Angeles Lakers at Barclays Center. So that is my parking tip to my fellow Net fans. Obviously, if it doesn't make sense to drive to the arena, this doesn't help you. But if you do want to drive to the arena, parking is easy and it's cheap. Now, I'm not sure when you're listening to this. You may be listening to this right after the game. You may be listening to this uh, on Wednesday or Thursday or whenever. I've said this on the air. The Chicago game is a very important game. Win, lose, or whatever tonight against the Lakers, I looked at this Chicago game as important for two reasons. Number one, flat out at the team you're supposed to be. I think the Nets are now proving that there are teams in this league, in this conference, that you are supposed to be. You are supposed to beat the Atlanta Hawks. They did that great on Sunday in Brooklyn. You are supposed to beat the New York Knicks. No offense to my Knicks fans out there. They uh, they did that the second game of a back-to-back. And that's the thing. They still, despite overcoming that gruesome streak of losing back-to-backs on the road, this has still been a bugaboo for this team for a very long time. You've got Indiana on Friday night. They're coming off a bad loss. I think they have another game before that, but they're coming off a bad loss to Cleveland. That's a tough game in Brooklyn. You have a chance now to take this six-game winning streak and extend it and do it against a team that's basically led a boycott against their new head coach. So I think this is going to be a really interesting test for this team, even more so because they won, because they're coming off this emotional victory. I'm sure they're pumped up. I'm sure they're giddy. A lot of guys played big minutes tonight. I don't have the list in front of me, but outside of the bigs like Jared Allen and Ed Davis, big minutes for D'Angelo, big minutes for Spencer Dinwiddie, 
probably big minutes for Joe Harris, probably big minutes for Damari Carroll. God knows if somebody's going to have a rest day tomorrow. You never know against the Bulls. I want to see this team build off of what was a tremendous victory and in ways the best win of the year. In ways it is. Because of the fact that they have this winning streak, I almost think it was their best win of the year. Because the Toronto game, as as great as that win was, or the, um, the Denver game, as great as that win was, I think the later you go and the more you're trying to figure out what a team is, the more importance you put in these kinds of victories. Does that even make any freaking sense? I don't know. I don't even know where I'm going right now. I got to figure it out with the Google Maps while I'm driving. Hold on one second. I'm pulling up Google Maps. Okay. I know what I'm doing now. I got to get to the right and get on the Brock. Okay. And I'm all good now. I'm all good. I've been very, very safe. Isn't that amazing? You know, isn't that amazing, Susan? I'm already on the freaking Brockton. This night so far has been perfect. I got a net victory. I got this great spot, and I'm flying home. Beautiful. All right. I think that's all I have. Oh, let me just finish on this. Chicago, back-to-back on the road, winnable game. Friday night in Brooklyn against Indiana, and then Sunday against Phoenix, who I think is a lot better than their record especially with Devin Booker healthy. Nick fans saw that the other day. This team has a chance to extend. I don't want this winning streak ending. It's at six. Why not seven? Why not eight? And let's get nuts. Why not freaking nine? Anyhow, I want to thank you for listening to this driving home edition of the Evan Roberts podcast. I'll talk to you every weekday at 10 a.m. with Joe Beningo. Goodbye.